Hello, and welcome to Decarbonize, the clean energy podcast from Fresh Energy. Fresh Energy is a Minnesota nonprofit working to shape and drive bold policy solutions to achieve equitable carbon neutral economies. My name is Joe Olson. I do communications here at Fresh Energy. And today we've got a two part podcast to share with you. In part one, Jay Drake Hamilton, Science Policy Director at Fresh Energy, and I will have a conversation about the Paris Agreement. And in part two, my colleague Justin Fay, Director of Public Affairs, will chat with the bill authors of the new 100% carbon-free electricity bill here in Minnesota. All right, with that, let's begin part one. Welcome, Jay Drake Hamilton, and thank you for being here. Uh, between it's, last week and today, when we're recording, you have been super busy. I think I saw on your schedule that you just finished testifying at a joint hearing before the House Climate and Energy and Preventative Health Policy Committees about the health impacts of climate change. You have a wild schedule. Thank you for making time for us. And if you're ready, let's talk Paris Agreement. Very good, Joe. Well, thanks for being here. Um, let's start with a little bit back of background. This will be more of, of me talking, then we'll get to your, your questions. So on January 20th, President Joe Biden signed an executive order rejoining the Paris Agreement. I, and probably like many of you listening, uh, watched in real time when he signed the order, and I felt just a huge weight lifted off my chest. Um, but to be honest, the work has only just begun. The United States is a major contributor of greenhouse gas emissions in the world and is second only to China. And in fact, the Midwest by itself ranks as the number six carbon emitter in the world. What does rejoining the Paris Agreement really mean for the US, the Midwest, and for Minnesota? And what can we do to take this moment and make real impact with big carbon reduction policies? We're gonna tackle some of that today. So first, Jay, as a longtime advocate for the Paris Agreement and someone who has attended at this point five global climate summits and with plans to attend this year's COP26 in Glasgow, what did it mean to you to see President Biden sign that executive order? Well, as many friends tweeted on Twitter, the mayor of Paris said, welcome back America. The United States will be back in the Paris Agreement as of February 19th, President Biden vows to repair our alliances and engage with the world once more on climate action. The Biden administration will have to start healing one of the deepest rifts between the US and the rest of the world. The executive orders he has signed so far are important, but he knows we're going to need legislation for a lot of the things we need to do. Now, under the Paris Agreement of 2015, nearly 200 nations vowed to reduce greenhouse gases to avert the most disastrous consequences of climate change. Biden's actions on day one must be quickly followed by a series of aggressive domestic climate policies to drastically reduce pollution. Now, the president has set a very ambitious target to eliminate CO2 emissions from the power sector by 2035. And then earlier today, he said he is going to do this on an irreversible path to a net zero economy by 2050. 
That's good news to hear. It means that the president will need to enact tough tougher regulations than those that were put in place by Mr. Obama. The United Nations calls for every country to adopt credible plans to achieve net zero carbon emissions by 2050. That means they need to take decisive actions to actually put themselves on the right path. The new rules need to be stronger or else the four years we lost during the Trump administration will not be regained. Now, Mr. Obama, if you remember in 2015, pledged that the US for a nationally determined contribution that the country would cut greenhouse gases by about 28% from 2005 levels by 2025. The Biden administration already is under intense immediate pressure to ramp up that target considerably. The US is going to need to play catch up with the European Union, with Britain and with China. It's gonna take combinations of new regulations, increased spending on renewable energy and supporting state efforts to move away from coal-fired generation. Those all will be needed and probably will need a target between 45% to 50% emissions by 2030. So that's a heavy lift. So are we now on that timeline? Well, the truth is the world must take decisive action to build resilience. On January 20th, President Biden's um, US climate envoy, former Secretary of State John Kerry, pledged to a global virtual summit that the US would play its role. We are not yet on the timeline where we need to be, but we need to bring strong policies to the world starting in this spring, spring of 2021, and culminating in success as of November, 2021. So you spoke to the Minnesota House of Representatives about the US Congress's omnibus spending bill passed on December 22, and subsequently signed by the outgoing president. Would you explain how Congress passed major climate legislation? Lawmakers in the former Congress agreed to phase down what are called super pollutants, and their name is, get this, hydrofluorocarbons, and they go by the initials HFCs. It's the most significant congressional action on climate change in 12 years. It was several years in the making, but it enjoyed incredible broad support, including from bipartisan senators, and astonishingly, support from the United States Chamber of Commerce. It was the first climate policy they supported. The turning point was knowledge that lower cost alternatives to these super polluters called HFCs are already widely available. It was also a head start for President Biden's plans to slash emissions across the economy. It stems from unusual bipartisan work between Delaware Senator Carper, a Democrat, and Wyoming Republican Senator Barrasso, 
and they've been working together since the summer 2020. The HFC deal is a particularly important step that will allow the Biden EPA to immediately begin implementing a regulatory policy that experts say could help avoid the globe. The globe would avoid almost one degree Fahrenheit in global warming. Compare that to our target, which is to avoid a total 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit warming. So it gets us more than a third of the way there. It is a very big deal. HFCs are super polluters and they're growing fast. The, the final bipartisan comprehensive language that's passed and signed into law will phase down production and consumption of these HFCs by 85% by the year 2036. That sets the stage for the administration to hit the ground running in 2021. So this is absolutely a huge down payment toward larger climate legislation that will allow the US to totally limit future warming to what I said before, no more than 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, the same as 1.5 degrees Celsius. So this timing seems so in sync with what we're trying to do here in Minnesota. Between Governor Walz's continued pushes for carbon-free electricity and the new bill introduced at the Minnesota legislature by Representative Long and Senator Frentz, who we'll be chatting with later, Minnesota seems to be really set up to make things happen. Can you talk a little more about how Minnesota can lead? Well, we hope to join six states plus Puerto Rico, plus the District of Columbia, that now have a target in policy of 100% carbon-free electricity. And there are many new actions happening elsewhere in the Midwest, including in the state of Michigan. Minnesota needs to be the next state with 100% carbon-free policy in place to add that to the entire American portfolio that President Biden needs to bring to the international summit. And that needs to aggregate up from everything that Congress will have done, including the HFC regulation and the 100% carbon-free electricity by 2035. And all of the strong state actions that have already taken place and are now being set in motion, including in Minnesota. And bring that to the rest of the world, show the US commitment is real and it, it's a viable set of policies. And we'll also have to um, co cajole along some of the rest of the countries to make sure that they do more to meet their own commitments. That is well put. Thank you, Jay. Um, before I let you go, I want to talk a little bit about the Global Climate Summit, also known as COP26 in Glasgow, coming up in November. Now, assuming it's safe to host in person, you will be representing Minnesota and Fresh Energy as an American observer. Um, we will be talking about this a lot more as we learn more about the event over the summer. Oh, summer, can't wait. Um, but in this moment, knowing what we know now, what are you expecting for COP26? Well, because of the pandemic, the Global Climate Summit scheduled for December 2020 was delayed until November 2021. 
So it's less than a full year away. And 2020 and now 2021 is the year five years ago that the almost 200 nations agreed that will be the time we will need to set new, tougher, more aggressive carbon goals to forestall climate disaster. 2021 will be the year to deliver on the state and the Minnesota and national ambitious policies along with every other nation. And what you should be looking for when I go to COP26 in Glasgow, I'm going to be part of We Are Still In. People can look that up as one word, wearestillin.org, because that is the largest alliance. And guess who's a part of that? The state of Minnesota and 4,000 businesses, um, cities, counties, and cultural organizations. And they've been so nice as to give me a microphone at prior COPS to talk to global audiences. And I hope to be doing that again in November, 2021. Please listen in on us leading to that. Perfect. Thank you so much, Jay. And I really, I can't wait to talk with you more about this in the coming months as we learn more about the event. Uh, thank you for taking time with us today out of your very busy schedule and giving us your firsthand insight, Jay. Thank you. Yeah, it's a time of real hope now and we need to make it um, bear fruit. Thank, Thank you, Jay. Joe. Thanks. Well, folks, up next, I'm going to turn the microphone over to Justin Fay, who's joined by Representative Jamie Long and Senator Nick Frentz. They're going to expand on the discussion we started here about Minnesota's clean energy and climate goals as they re relate to legislative policy. On January 21st, history was made at the Minnesota legislature when a bill for 100% carbon-free electricity was introduced. Many of you probably read about it in the news last week when Governor Walls announced it as part of his package of legislative climate proposals for this session. The centerpiece of this critical legislation is a commitment for Minnesota to achieve 100% of our electricity from carbon-free sources no later than 2040. As I'm sure our listeners know, 100% clean electricity is a major priority for fresh energy. So it goes without saying that we're big supporters of this bill, uh, along with all of the partners that we're proud to work with in the 100% campaign, who've all been pivotal in getting us to the point we're at today. Anyway, today on the podcast, we're so pleased to be joined uh, by 100% carbon-free electricity bill co-authors, or authors, uh, Representative Jamie Long from Minneapolis and Senator Nick Frentz from North Mankato. Welcome to both of you. Thanks, Justin. Good to be here. Thank you, Justin. Great to join you. So uh, uh, I, again, thanks. Uh, we really appreciate you both taking the time and especially for your leadership uh, in authoring the bill uh, and, and moving the conversation forward this session. Um, it's such a great opportunity for Minnesota uh, to, to, to demonstrate leadership uh, nationally and, and regionally and really matches the work that we're doing at Fresh Energy. Um, so I guess I maybe just to kind of start off our conversation, I'd be interested in hearing a little bit more about just what what from each of you what attracted you to working on this proposal in the first place. Uh, uh, Representative, maybe we could start with you. Sure thing. Well, Senator Frentz and I carried a hundred percent clean energy bill last session along with Governor Walls, and we made history last session too because we passed it off the House floor. Uh, so in our very first effort in the legislature to be carrying a bill forward, we, we were able to get a broad vote in favor of 100% clean energy. 
but uh, we've updated our targets considerably since then. We've moved up the goal by a full decade to 100% by 2040. And that was for, for three reasons. One is that the science has moved uh, since the last time that we carried the bill, and we know the urgency of acting on uh, climate change. And we've also seen state reports that we're not meeting our greenhouse gas goals. And the second is that the technology's gotten better and cheaper. So we, are, we know that we can move even faster than we thought we could do a couple of years ago. And then third, we've seen leadership at the national level that's uh, really incredible. Uh, President Biden ran on 100% by 2035, and I think really changed the conversation around the country for what's possible and what we could achieve. So I'm really proud of uh, the bill we're putting out there. Senator Frentz, uh, how, how, how about you? What, what attracted you to the bill? Well, first of all, Justin, thanks to you and thanks to Fresh Energy for all the work that you've done in the past and looking forward to working with you going forward. Um, when you appear with Representative Long and you talk second, the problem is he always makes a lot of the good points in advance. I, I would like to call your listeners' attention to President Biden's election in particular. That was a national election in which his plan was pretty bold and he won by over 8 million votes. So that tells us that the people of America want us to move forward. And what attracted me to the legislation is not a background in science, uh, no physics, none of that, just the simple knowledge that we want to do our share, not just in Minnesota, but as a country. And a couple summers ago, toured Germany on a renewable energy trip that had bipartisan uh, legislative delegates there. And at the dinner, one of the uh, members of the Bundestag stood up and seemed to be trying to be nice. I don't know, I don't speak German, but this is essentially what I got out of it. Um, you Americans are the only ones for whom climate change is a political issue. And you know that was the day after our then president of the United States pulled us out of the Paris Climate Accords. So for many of us, that really struck a note. I also agree with Representative Long that just in the last two years since we started working on the previous 100% bill, things have really changed just this week, struck by the polar ice cap news, struck by General Motors, all but announcing they're moving to electric vehicles, and uh, just want to be a part of it and do things that make Minnesotans proud. That's really great. I think there's there's absolutely a lot happening, and I, we're, we're um, excited to uh, uh, continue the conversation about what Minnesota's role in um, this, this transition can be. Um, uh, Representative Long, uh, kind of coming back to you for a, a, a second. Uh, you, in addition to um, representing uh, the good folks of South Minneapolis, uh, also uh, chair the Climate and Energy Committee uh, in the Minnesota House. Um, and uh, your committee had a hearing on the 100% bill, uh, actually two hearings now by the time folks at home are, are listening to uh, this episode. Um, can you tell us a little bit about kind of what the what you think the path for that bill might look like in that in the house this year and what the what you think the prospects uh, are for uh, for progress on the bill yep absolutely well we had a uh, hearing with public testimony uh it was our, our first hearing on the bill and uh, uh the esteemed michael noble from fresh energy was one of my testifiers and did an outstanding job even if he uh, went a couple minutes over but he uh <laughs> he was terrific in his content and uh, uh, we um, also, I think it's worth noting uh, in our committee so far, have heard from uh, utilities in the state that are going full steam ahead towards carbon-free electricity. So we had Great River Energy come and testify about 
their announcement last year that they're going to be reducing their greenhouse gas emissions 95% by 2023, uh, which is just incredible. And uh, I know that Senator Frentz uh, and his committee heard from Minnesota Power on the day they made their big announcement. So maybe I'll, I'll let him speak to that. Um, but uh, why, don't you, why don't you speak to that, Senator, and then I'll, I'll talk about the path in the House. I'd be happy to. Um, you know, first of all, I wish I uh, could say I wasn't jealous of the House, but they are hearing the bill, and I don't know that we're going to hear this bill in the Senate. I've made a somewhat public request of our chair, Senator Dave Senjem from Rochester, who I like and who was on that trip to Germany, to hear the bill and to have some testimony about climate change. Um, so far, no signal that we'll get it. Um, Representative Long, as usual, is exactly right. We're hearing from our utilities that this is the direction that they're going already. And so we're going to send a collective signal someday with the passage of this bill that this is what Minnesota needs to do. And it's worth pointing out, Justin, as people at Fresh Energy know, the energy sector is actually one that's made some progress. And we should be proud of the progress that we've made. It's through leadership at Minnesota Power and Excel and others that we've made that but we need to also look at the transportation sector. We need to look at industry. And if we wanna do our share, it's gonna take more than just getting to 100% of uh, energy and electrical generation. And so I think uh, with Minnesota Power, as Senator Frentz mentioned, and Great River Energy and Excel Energy being the first utility in the country to say they were going to 100% clean energy. Now, 80% of Minnesota's electric customers are in a utility, utility territory that is committed to carbon-free electricity, which is pretty outstanding. Um, and in terms of the path for the bill, so with these uh, two hearings, we um, will have, uh, I think, done our work in the House Climate and Energy Committee, and then we'll, we'll see where we go from there. We're uh, certainly going to be um, hoping that it'll be part of the conversations when we get to the end of session. Usually that's when a lot of the, the big conversations are, are had and deals are cut. Um, and, uh, and we'll see, I'm, I'm optimistic. Well, I, those are really good thoughts. And, you know, gosh, we hear a lot about, uh, you know, conversation at the Capitol about the importance of, you know, the market and um, signals that the market sends. And I, this really sounds like an issue where the, the market's been very, very clear. And um, what we're really talking about here is how we can, you know, how government can support the signal that's already being sent by by private industry. I couldn't agree more, but um, as I mentioned earlier, private industry includes some of the leading American companies like General Motors. And wouldn't you know it, I brought a copy of the uh, the quote from the CEO of General Motors, who's Mary Barra, said last week, climate change is real and we wanna be part of the solution by putting everybody in an electric vehicle. Now these are for-profit companies run by boards who have a shareholder obligation to make a profit. So ask yourself if a company of the caliber of General Motors, the, the front person for internal combustion engines says, nope, we're gonna retool. Uh, what signal does that send and where can Minnesota be along for the ride? Get it, along for the ride? and uh, be a partner with companies like that and have our American companies be innovators in this transition, not just for the good of the planet, although that should be our primary goal, but also to be successful in competition with other uh, foreign manufacturers like our good friends at Volkswagen or Volvo who are making much more overt moves into the electric vehicle sector. Right, Representative Long? Well, absolutely. And, and I'll just add that the... Um both in the House and in the Senate, we heard from some of our leaders 
uh, in business in Minnesota, uh, to your point, Justin, about the signal we're getting from the market. And we heard from 3M, from Ecolab, uh, in, in the house we heard from Cargill. All of them have set science-based targets to get to 100% clean energy in line with, uh, with the bill that we're, that we're pushing. Um, and so, you know, they certainly are responding to, to shareholder and public demands, but they're also responding to, I think, the impacts that climate change is going to have on their supply chains and on their production. Um, so there is a strong signal coming from them. But there is also, I think, uh, the potential to take that, um, that argument too far down the path and say, well, then why do we need any action at all? And I think there's a couple reasons we do. One is that we know that we have to meet um, certain targets to be able to uh, avoid the worst impacts of climate change. And so we have to, I think, push hard towards meeting those targets. And we know we're not on track right now. And the second is that Minnesota has a real opportunity to demonstrate leadership in this space and to take advantage of the opportunities that are created by the clean energy transition so that we're creating good jobs right here and not seeing those go to other parts of the country. And we uh, heard from uh, Mortensen Construction Company in our committee uh, who was talking about the fact that they installed their, the first wind turbine for XL Energy in 1995 in our state. And that was because we were early movers with some of our early laws in the state that helped set them up to be now the largest wind installer in the entire country. And along with some other Minnesota companies, uh, we have installed uh, from companies in our state, 50% of the wind turbines in the last decade around the entire country. So this, this means real work, uh, real jobs for Minnesotans if we're actually able to uh, set a policy framework that helps create this leadership space. Justin, if you don't mind, I sometimes point out that Representative Long is a lot nicer than I am. Uh, first of all, we had goals for emissions reductions in 2007. We're a great state, we're very proud of it. We're not meeting them. That's a fact, I, I'm not happy about that. Uh, I'd rather be talking about a Viking Super Bowl victory, but we are not meeting those goals. And second, a lot of those jobs Representative Long is talking about are in greater Minnesota. We're talking about the ability to host generation with wind and solar. We're talking about the prospect in districts like mine where farmers get a regular uh, source of income for hosting and the counties get an improved tax base. Those are uh, points we have to drive home now because we don't have time to wait. I, I, that's a really, uh, it's a really great set of thoughts and I, you know you uh, senator you mentioned a, a minute ago that uh, you brought up general motors and um, I, I, a little known fact that I'm guessing you know well is that the chief engineer of the Chevy bolt uh, that works at general motors is actually a graduate of MSU Mankato so it, uh, it it's it, it's sort of uh, across the whole suite of this transition that M Minnesota has been uh, has a leadership legacy and a, a, an awful lot to, to gain right well, Justin, you are awfully good at teeing up those local uh, blessings. Yeah, we're very proud of that. And they, and they bring it up all the time at MSU Mankato. And of course, five years ago, that was great news as we talked about the bolt. Think of what we'll be talking about in five years. If we can pass this legislation and send this signal, we can make Minnesota the home of innovation, some of the things of which we haven't even thought of yet. Um, we were just talking this week about the improvements in the turbine technology and efficiency. Um, talking about how we're going to upgrade windmills that uh, now we're going to be twice as productive. What will we be saying in 10 years? 
the legislation allows us to keep a certain all of the above type of energy approach so that if we can innovate, which I think we can, um, who will be the next university uh, great student? I mean, they'll be from Mankato, obviously, but they'll invent something that'll be really cool. Keep an eye on battery storage or Absolutely. Minneapolis. <laughs> either Mankato or Minneapolis. They'll clearly be from one of those two communities. I mean, we'll I think it. that's a fact. We'll solve it in one of those two places. As we always do. <laughs> well, um, you know, I think uh, we've been talking a lot about national leadership and I think uh, there's actually, I mean, this is, you know, it's a, it's a global problem and, and there's an awful lot of uh, momentum and need for action at the international level. Um, you know, earlier in this podcast, uh, we heard from J. Drake Hamilton talking about um, the you know, U.S. rejoining the uh, uh, Paris Climate Agreement um, and yeah, just how uh, refreshing and significant of a change that is. And um, I don't know, Representative Long, have you, uh, is, that, is that context something that you're thinking about, about how Minnesota can sort of contribute, uh, not even just nationally, but internationally? Well, absolutely. I, I think that the first off rejoining Paris was huge. And uh, Speaker Hortman uh, was there when the Paris Climate Accord was was reached, um, so we we have uh, our own Minnesota connection to uh, to the the Paris Climate Accord. But um, you know, sometimes we get asked um, by by detractors of moving towards clean energy. Well, what does it matter if Minnesota does this? Right, we're one state. We're not going to have that big of an impact. And I think that looking at things like the Paris Climate Accord, the fact that now every single country in, in the world has agreed to moving uh, aggressively towards reducing their greenhouse gas emissions is an important signal that uh, we are in this together. Um, but more than that, even if, even if we're not able to act as a federal government, I know that things could still be difficult uh, in, the, in the US Senate to get big progress. Uh, Governor Walz's leadership and, and states uh, across the country have agreed to meet the Paris climate targets on their own. And those states currently represent 40% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. So even if we weren't able to get the entirety of the United States on track, uh, you know, having 40% of our emissions met at the state level to meet Paris would be huge. Boy, I would say amen to that. And to those that say, why do we need legislation if we're already headed there? I would say, good. If we're already headed there, this legislation will not change the thing. The legislation is for those areas where it's not changing. Again, like transportation. Um, we passed the renewable energy standard changes in 2007, and they immediately sent a signal that renewable energy was welcome in Minnesota. And as you know, it is the number one job provider. There's an economic side to this. We want jobs, we want opportunity, we want growth, and we can get that in the renewable energy sector through this bill and through other legislation that will pass. And when we pass that renewable energy standard that Senator French mentioned, 25% by 2025 seemed unattainable. It, it seemed like a huge reach. The utilities said they could never do it. And then they made it, met it eight years early. So we, we know that technology is moving rapidly. We know that we're advancing really quickly in our ability to power our economy with clean energy. And I'm, I'm sure we're going to look back at 2040 and say, really, we, we thought it would take that long? Um, if you don't mind, Justin, to, to amplify Representative Long's point, we have people saying, oh, we can't do it. It'll have this effect. It'll have that effect. There's a cost to not passing this legislation. 25 years ago, we heard things like, oh, the planet's not heating up. Oh, the seas aren't going to rise. 
Oh, you're not going to see an increase in weather patterns that cause storm damage. All those things about climate change that were predicted 25 years ago seem to me to be coming true in the most part. And we're hearing predictions now going forward that are arguably more dire. We are running out of time to do something. We have a 20 to 25 year window and we should do it. And if corporate America is starting to realize it, I think it's high time the Minnesota legislature got going. Uh, amen to you as well. Um, you know, I think we've, we've talked a lot about the opportunity and I think, uh, and, and now some of what the, the risks of not asking and, and realities of not acting are. Um, you know, as we, as we think about doing this work and what the future looks like, you know, one of the priori priorities that we have at Fresh Energy and that I know both of you share as well is making sure that everybody has an opportunity to benefit from um, from clean energy and from the um, uh, you know the clean energy economy that we're building for the future, and that um, has to include uh, historically marginalized communities, um, as well as workers in communities that are currently employed in the fossil fuel industry and, and supply chain as those, as those technologies uh, begin to transition offline. Um, for you know we, the phrase we sometimes use is is just transition, um, not as in just a transition, but as in justice, right? Like justice for people experiencing a transition from whatever perspective. Um, how how is that how is that sort of set of challenges something that that you both are thinking about um, as you think about this bill and and the broader kind of context of um, how we're uh, uh, how we're you know how we're gonna. Um, accomplish this most successfully uh, as a state. Um, uh, Senator, should we start with you? I, I see the finger pointing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I see you're raising two questions, Justin. First of all, equity and inclusion. Listen, are we all in this together or aren't we? If we are, if we lead with our heart, we can do things that are fair and correct wrongs that we uh, may have from our past to make things so that everyone feels like a part of it. The more we have buy-in from Minnesotans, including our diverse communities, the more likely we are to meet our clean energy goals. You're also asking a question about host cities. I met yesterday with some advocates um, who want to watch the transition from the various cities that may see changes. There's a, a couple basic things that we're looking at. We can repurpose those facilities. Uh, we can provide transition uh, support and grants. We can do retraining. And again, we don't know what innovation may show us next week, next month, next year, or in 10 years. Um, but we have to all be in it together there too. And as the public demands that we decarbonize, the public will have to share in the collective burdens and costs if there are any for those communities. And that means we got to stick up for them. I'll just add that we know that the pollution burden hasn't fallen equally uh, in the past. We know that the impacts of climate change aren't going to come equally. They're going to hit communities of color and the poorest communities the hardest. And we know that for the transition, there are going to be communities who through no fault of their own are going to be left behind uh, unequally because they have a plant closing or they're seeing job losses. So this is a critical part of the transition and something that we, um, I'm glad you asked about, we need to be really mindful of. And in our 100% bill, we, I'm really proud of the content that we put in there to make sure that we are taking this very seriously. We have on the uh, transition for communities and workers requirements for the utilities to report on what they're doing to try to help retrain workers and get them to uh, better jobs. We have uh, prioritization for putting news sources back in those communities so that they could um, potentially create some more economic benefit. And then on the environmental justice side, 
uh, we are requiring that environmental justice be a consideration for retirement of old plants, for siting of new facilities, and then also for looking at new job creation so that we're trying to help bring those communities into the clean energy transition. So I think we were very focused on this in the bill and it's something that I'm really uh, happy with where we, where we landed. Justin, I just wanna um, add one thing to Representative Long's comments on the siting of facilities. Um, that's gotta be fair. When we put facilities that have impacts on communities, it can't be based on anything other than equity across the spectrum. If we, if we don't live it, we don't believe it. And I think you'll see some of the discussion centering around waste incineration. And keep in mind, there's a difference between the technology, which may or may not be preferable, and the question of where some of these facilities are cited. And I think Representative Long's point is, if you're not paying attention to equity, then you'll never achieve it. Well, that's a, that's a really great, I think a really great point to end on. Uh, I really appreciate uh, both of you taking the time. Um, any, uh, any closing thoughts from either of you before we uh, go ahead and wrap up for uh, folks listening at home? Just glad to join you. Very glad to work with you. Representative Long, thank you for everything you and everybody on your team are doing. We are uh, trying very hard to get this bill some attention in the Senate. That's all we're asking. And uh, with your amplified voices and advocates like Fresh Energy, I hope we can do that. And I'll just thank Fresh Energy for all of your outstanding work on 100% clean energy legislation and so many other issues that we work on together. And for uh, your tens of thousands of listeners, if you could uh, chime in to your elected representatives and tell them that you want them to support the 100% clean energy bill this session, that would be much appreciated. Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much, both of you, for taking time out of your schedule to, uh, to chat with us. And we're really looking forward to looking with both of you as well. Uh, for those of you that are listening at home that might want to get more involved in supporting the 100% carbon-free electricity legislation this session, uh, a really great resource to take a look at is the 100% campaign. Um, and that's a, a broad, multi-sector, um, multi-stakeholder effort that Fresh Energy is proud to be a member of. Um, you can learn more about the 100% campaign at their website, 100%mn.org. That's 100, the word percent. Uh, mn.org. Uh, this is a really tremendous opportunity for Minnesota. We have an opportunity to make history, um, to really build the future that we want, uh, and that our uh, future generations are, are going to thrive in. And we thank um, both of you uh, for your work at the legislature uh, and all of, uh, all of you listening at home uh, for spending this time with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you everyone for joining us today for our two-part conversation about the Paris Agreement and 100% carbon-free electricity in Minnesota. And special shout out to Justin Fay for co-hosting, J. Drake Hamilton for being such a great guest, and also to Representative Jamie Long and Senator Nick Friends for talking so candidly about why they're excited about 100% carbon-free electricity in Minnesota. You can stay up to date on Fresh Energy's work via our blog at fresh-energy.org or follow us on social media. Right now, we've got a pretty cool blog post up about our top 20 accomplishments of 2020. Uh, I love listicles, so for those of you who like them as well, go on over to our website. You can take a look at some of the cool things that happened last year for clean energy in Minnesota. Uh, and in the meantime, thank you everyone for listening and subscribing to this podcast. You can support Fresh Energy's work by making a donation today. Again, visit our website at fresh-energy.org and click donate in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.